Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. We're back, everyone, with another episode of Indie Reads Aloud. This is one of my favorite authors on the entire planet, um, Mark Love. He has been on the program many, many times because he keeps writing really spectacular books, and I love it when he reads out loud to me. And today, Mark is reading my favorite of the Jamie Richmond romance mysteries, and it is Fleeing Beauty. Mark, welcome back. Thank you, Diana. Always a fun time when we get together. I don't know who enjoys these more. Those <laughs> rates. I enjoy them more. <laughs> um, I, I love it when you come on the program because we've known each other for a long time and we just have so much fun. And every single time you read, I get surprised, even with the books I've already read. <laughs> There's something really special about having an author read their own work. Oh, I agree. I think it's it really gives you the opportunity to put certain inflections into the pronunciation of the story and maybe change your voice just a little bit when you're shifting from one character to another. And um, it's when I'm working with the Jamie series, the attitude comes up a little bit more often. Mm-hmm. She can be a little bit of a, how can I phrase this delicately, uh, a smart ass. Yeah. And I don't know where that came from. but I, it, I it can't happened. imagine. <laughs> but she seems to uh, come forward with that when I'm reading it. So, so um, let's start first to let everybody know if you have little ears nearby you might want to preview this episode before you allow the little ears to listen in we do have um, some mature situations that will be coming through in the reading today so just a, a, a fair warning to preview this first for those of you who have not yet met mark you're missing out seriously missing out um he's lived for many years in the metro Detroit area where crime and corruption are always prevalent, but you know, it's where we live. As a former freelance reporter, Mark honed his writing skills covering features and hard news. He is the author of the Jamie Richmond Romance Mysteries, the Jefferson Shane Mystery Series, and more stuff you can find on his website at MotownMysteries.com. Um, Mark now resides in West Michigan, where he enjoys a wide variety of music, books, travel, cooking, and the great outdoors. And if you want to know more about Mark, jump on his website and read his newsletter. It's super eclectic and always fun. I love it when you share those with us. I always have music playing, and so I always have to include that in some of the news features that I do. 
And of course, as soon as I did one yesterday, went live with the latest one. Mm-hmm. And I started driving. I went, oh, my gosh, Kenny Loggins. I should have heard. I've already got ideas for the next issue. It's odd. Sometimes certain songs just keep popping up on Spotify or Pandora or YouTube or even in the car. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a big Kenny Loggins fan. He's he shaped so much of my life, um, so many different milestones. So I'll be looking Very for good. that. Yeah, yeah. He's amazing. Um, before we start in on the reading, I would like you to talk a little bit about Ink Spell because you work with them in anthologies and they have a new one out recently and I don't think they get enough promotion. So could you just share a little bit about that project with us? Okay. Uh, Ink Spell Publishing is the house that has the Jamie Richmond series and they have been just phenomenal to work with. Melissa and her crew are always quick, very supportive. Uh, when I come up with ideas for something, I'll float it by her. And she's like, when can I get the manuscript? I'm like, I just got the idea. You know? <laughs> oh, let's you know, slow down. And she is really wonderful. Uh, what she likes to do is uh, she'll put together a collection. Like we just did one. Um, for the holidays. And this is like memories of fathers and kids. And what she wants is a little story about, you know, fatherhood and then one of your favorite recipes. And then she would collect um, and take copies of all the covers from all the different books that you have with Inkspell. And she includes the back cover and maybe a little excerpt from one of those as well. How lovely. And this is just a delight. And she puts this all together and she says, okay, here, now, you know, you can buy these in paperback or in the ebook. And uh, I use it as a promotion when I got them because I had an event just uh, the earlier part of December. And I had these available with me. And it was a perfect situation because they had two different customers that bought all three books in the Shane series. Nice. And they were kind of looking at the Jamie books and they're like, mm. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. And I gave them a copy of this collection as promo because not only does it have the story about me as a father and, and one of my favorite recipes, Jamie, by the way, um, but it also had about 10 other ink spell. And it's it's not one of the top five publishing, but they certainly make you feel when you're part of that. And Melissa refers to us as the Inkspell family. Yeah. I don't know if that makes me the grandpa or what, <laughs> but I'm I'm proud. I don't know to be that that would be a bad thing. I think no, you make a great grandpa. <laughs> not at all. And we have such a good time. And and she is, as I said, she's very very supportive. And so where's, for, where's a website where people can find them? Uh, inkspellpublishing.com. Okay. And awesome. Uh, that is just, they, she's I, always got a lot of variety in the, in the house. And yeah. Of, I've and, now worked with several authors from Inkspell on the podcast and everybody is such a delight and, and there's such a, a great um, variety and change and, and, I mean, nobody writes the same stories. And, yeah. and 
they all, all very very different different voices and it's just really really wonderful well, so there's there's a couple of authors from australia i want to say yeah, mannersley mm-hmm. jennifer rains is from australia uh and they, they've been on your show yes and uh it's just wonderful i know there's a few canadian authors i'm not sure about england mm-hmm. but i know there's a lot here in the states that really enjoy telling them wonderful yeah, it's it's really a great thing. So I, I appreciate you talking about them because I just think they're one of the, for lack of a better word, one of the cousins we don't get to see enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I, I like sharing what they're doing. I, if we ever have the opportunity to have an Inkspell family reunion, I'm going. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, I'm not sure how many of us will cram into Melinda's condo or Melissa's <laughs> condo, but we'll figure it. Yeah, we'll figure it out when you get there. So today you're going to read from Fleeing Beauty. This is my favorite Jamie Richmond novel. I know I'm not supposed to have favorite children, but this one is my favorite. I think part of the reason it's my favorite is because it was the first of your books that I ever read. And I know that that's a little unconventional because it's the third in the series. That's right. But I didn't know that going in. (laughs) So... I that's read it, not, and, and I didn't have a problem with continuity at all. You write your novels in such a way that even though they're interconnected, they do stand by themselves as well. And, and that's something that Melissa and I work very closely to make sure that, as it is, because now there are five Jamie books, and we want to make sure that if somebody picked up the latest they Crab Chasing Favor, that they would not feel lost trying to figure out, okay, what's the backstory? How does this all come together? So that is something that we take a little extra time to make sure it it covers all those pieces. You've absolutely been successful with this because I I like to say it's the first book I read and and I fell madly in love with this series. It's it's just fantastic. So I'm really excited that you're going to read it. You're moving the other ones up to the top of the to-be-read pile, aren't you? Of course, yeah. I you right I I keep saying this to all of my indie friends you guys got to slow down writing so I can catch up reading <laughs> it's it's just the nature of what I get to do I get samples of so many great books through this podcast and I just can't read fast enough <laughs> So Let's see what we can do we'll maybe slow down just a just a little bit Well I would hate to like pull in the reins on your writing career. I that would, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, we, we won't do that. So we'll keep going. So give us the setup for Fleeing Beauty, and then when okay. you're ready, take the microphone and read aloud. All right. Well, this is the third book in the series, and I'm just going to read you off the back cover here. Uh, Jamie used to live a nice, quiet life. But last fall, she witnessed the shooting of a police officer and figured out who did it. Then this winter, uh, her best friend, Linda, targeted by a stalker, she was kidnapped. Yep, Jamie solved that one and came to her rescue. Now it's summertime, and the living is supposed to be easy. All she wants to do is write her novels and spend free time with Malone the guy who has been by her side since all this craziness began. But that's not likely to happen. Now, the lead story on this is Jamie's father 
was a very successful poet. And unfortunately, he passed away when she was only seven years old. Now, 25 years later, his studio is discovered. And alongside the studio is also a storeroom filled with crates of work that he did, beautiful artwork, that was not on commission. So he was like building up a supply for a show or for a gallery, whatever the case may be. So now Jamie just discovered this. Uh, he is going to have a meeting with the attorneys that handle her father's estate. And she has asked Bert, who is her stepfather, and Malone to accompany her to meet the attorneys and find out what's going on. So here's the first scene. The law offices were in one of the high-rise buildings in downtown with a great view of the Detroit River. It was a clear day, and from 30 stories up, you could easily see Windsor, Canada on the side. Pleasure craft were moving smoothly up and down the water. A couple of freighters were trundling by. I stood at the window of the conference room, admiring the view. I was too nervous to sit. Bert and Malone were talking quietly, sipping coffee from fine china cups. I don't have fine china. I have mismatched ceramic mugs. The conference room door opened. Two people walked in. One was a guy close to six, sharply tailored black pinstripe suit with a dark burgundy tie. He was shorter than me, maybe five foot six. He was solid, not fat. Most of his hair was brown with streaks of gray at the temples. Although his hairline was starting to recede, Give him credit for not attempting the dreaded comb-over. I'm Lincoln Banning. This is my associate, Helen Gaines. I studied her for a moment. She looked barely old enough to drive. Helen was rail thin with dark brown hair cut very short and close to her skull. I immediately pictured her as a tomboy, doing her best to prove herself in any competition. She was wearing a light business suit with slacks and an ivory-colored blouse buttoned. I wondered if the outfit was a standard uniform for the legal world. Bert made the introductions. I moved to the table, took their hands, and sat on the edge of the chair between Bert and Malone. Jamie, I don't know if you recall, but I was a friend of your father. We met a couple of times at holiday parties. You were very young, Jamie said. His voice was smooth and clear, like an actor on stage. I'm sorry, but I don't remember you. How well did you know Peter? We met when he was at the Center for Creative Studies. I was finishing up my undergraduate program and going to law school. By the time he graduated, I was already practicing estate law with a small firm. Is that your specialty, wills and estates? Yes, it is. I didn't have the flair for criminal work. Helping people make plans for their families has always appealed to me. What about you? I directed this question at Helen. Both my father and grandfather practiced law. Grandfather always said there was nothing finer than estate work. I turned my attention back to Banning. For a moment, I felt out of place. 
wearing a navy blue dress that stopped a couple inches above the knee. My legs were bare. As if sensing my discomfort, Malone lightly put a hand on my arm. He was wearing a black sport coat and slacks with a blue striped shirt. Bert was in one of his business suits. I have made several attempts to reach Vera Richmond. Unfortunately, I have yet to receive a response, Fanning said. I nodded. That's not unusual. Vera doesn't like to be easily accessible. I've listened to messages on her cell phone and her email account, but it could be a week before we hear anything. Is it necessary that she be here? Banning offered a thin smile. Actually, there is a great deal we need to do, but whether Mrs. Richmond is present or not, I believe we can proceed. Helen passed out copies of a list on the company's thick stationery. I rolled my thumb across the corporate logo at the top. This firm's reputation was well-deserved. I checked them out last night. There may be other issues we need to address, Bannings, but I believe we've outlined the most salient points. As the executors of Peter's estate, it is our responsibility to make certain the assets are secured. Bert raised a meeting. Let's get a little more background information on the table. Of course, how foolish of me. I was operating under the impression that you all knew about the state. Where should I begin? I've never seen my father's will. Vera never told me anything about it, just that he left her enough money to support us. Banning's expression seemed to soften. Mrs. Richmond never cared for the detail. I will make sure you have a copy of the will before you leave. Basically, Peter Richmond was very talented. Whether he was very wise, took the recommendations of a savvy mentor, I'll never know. But he put his assets into a trust. Vera was given a stipend for expenses, which was enough to maintain the lifestyle she'd enjoyed at the time of his death. There were provisions made for inflation as well. The trust was not to be touched until your 35th birthday, Jane. At that time, the funds will be divided equally between you and Vera. How much are we talking, Burden? Manning shrugged. It is difficult to put an exact figure on it. Peter invested cautiously in some stocks and bonds, as well as real estate. There were several insurance policies. And of course, there's the building. What building, I am? Peter owned the building where his studio and storage space are. I thought it would be a good idea to go there after our meeting so you can get a better sense of it. That was a brilliant move on his part. Malone had been calmly watching this history. Hasn't this building been vacant for more than 20 years? On the contrary, it's been utilized by artists since the late 70s. Peter bought it and kept one large studio for himself. The other spaces were divided up into galleries and studios. The rent payments were sufficient to cover the annual expenses for property taxes, utilities, and insurance. The only stipulation was that his studio was never to be used by anyone 
outside of his immediate family. That would be either Vera or you, Jamie. I shook my head. I can't draw stick figures. Let's talk about this list first. I understand Malone and I are here to support Jamie. Neither one of us has any claims beyond that. That is not a problem. Banning gave us a moment to review the items. After securing the building in the studio, the list included creating an inventory, documenting the pieces, getting appraisals done, and determining the best course of action for the estate. There were other items, such as press releases and interviews. I stopped reading when I got that far. Did you know about this storeroom before, I asked? No, I was as surprised as anyone. It's been years since I've been to the building. It's my understanding that Peter had a special wall constructed. I visited his studio a few times when he was working. He was secretive and clever. Why don't we go look at that building, Bertson? Banning rose smoothly to his feet. That is a splendid idea. Okay, that's the end of the first scene. Now, in the second one, Jamie has recruited Malone and Ian, who is Malone's unofficial kid brother, to help unpacking the crates and create the inventory so everything can be appraised. They also have Peter's hard files for reference. They are taking pictures and videos of every piece of work that they unpack. Now, Jamie has also been dog-sitting Logan with her best friend Linda's pup. He is on vacation. During walks with the dog, Ian has met Brittany, a pretty girl who lives down the street. Scene two. After Malone went to work Sunday, Linda and Vince stopped by. They both looked incredibly happy. The week in Montreal had done wonders for them. Logan practically did backflips when he saw Linda. She thanked me repeatedly for taking care of her guy. I declined an offer to join them for dinner. It was obvious they still wanted to be alone. Ian returned after seven. He unpacked his clothes, grabbed an apple from the refrigerator, and scowled at him. He slumped into a chair at the kitchen table. Logan's gone. Yes, Linda and Vince came home this afternoon. He gave me an exasperated look. But Logan's gone. Of course he's gone. He was only staying here because she didn't have time to put him in a kennel when they went on vacation. Ian's gaze went to the floor. He started bumping his foot against the table lid. I knew what was going on. He looked so sweet, I couldn't torment him. She's waiting for you. His head snapped up. What? Brittany is waiting for you. She stopped by before you got back. Told her Logan was gone, but that you were due any time. Why didn't you tell me? I just did. But I thought, you know, without Logan, I didn't have a reason to go by there. He was so cute. I reached across the table and punched him in the shoulder. She likes you, Ian. 
Dog was just your wingman. Go see her. She likes me? Be home by 10. He bolted from the table. Halfway across the kitchen, he whirled around. Can I stay until 11? You've got an early morning. Let's make it 10. Come on, Jamie. How about just a little bit later? 10.30 is my final offer. Ian stepped over and gave me a hug. Deal. With a bang, he was out the side door and jogged the driveway. Monday morning, it was a sleepy trio headed downtown to the studio. We were taking two cars. Ian was slumped against the passenger door in my car, sound asleep. I wondered if he was dreaming of Brittany. Arriving downtown, I grabbed the, Ian grabbed the cooler with our lunch and drinks. Malone and I followed. I unlocked the door and stepped inside. Ian entered and Malone swung the door shut, twisting the lock back in place. I was almost to the desk when I realized something was different. Before I could say a word, Ian dropped the cooler with a crash. It's gone. Spring Dance, the first sculpture we unpacked, the one that had graced the work table in the studio since that moment, was gone. All right, scene three. Linda joins Jamie, Malone, and Ian at the studio as the unpacking cataloging work continues. Linda was anxious to see what pressures lurked inside the remaining crates. By my count, we still had 25 to open. In no time at all, we had the cameras set up and running while the guys maneuvered the first large crate into position. I watched from behind the video camera as Malone and Ian pulled the burlap off the sculpture. This one was a marble titled Fleeing Beauty. It was the body of a woman caught in the act of running. Tendrils of slender marble in various lengths and thicknesses extended from her head, as if they were locks of hair billowing out behind her as she ran. Part of her face was obscured, turned against her shoulder, as if attempting to hide her features from whoever was chasing her. The woman's body was voluptuous, full of dangerous curves. There was something haunting about this place. The guys became quiet. It was unusual. Linda slowly moved around it, taking pictures with the other camera. Holy shit, Ian muttered. Watch your language, Malone said, cuffing him lightly on the back of the head. How did he do that? She looks real. She looks alive, Malone. Check the file, He and ducked back into the studio. The three of us were now leaning against the work table that held the laptop. None of us could take our eyes off the sculpture. After almost two weeks of doing this, I thought I was becoming accustomed to unveiling these incredible works of art. But this one stopped me in my track. It wasn't just me. Linda and Malone were staring at it as well. He used a model, Ian said, holding up the file. We spread the papers out on the work table. There were pictures of a woman standing in front of a drop cloth. She was blonde with an impish smile on her face. 
She could have been in her early to middle 20s. Is it possible to tell how tall she Her figure was eye-catching, with a tiny waist and round hips. Most of the pictures showed her in a one-piece bathing suit. There was one where she wore sheer negligee. There were shots of her standing on a pedestal, others with her arms outstretched, and still others where she was looking over her shoulder. In a couple of photos, he must have used a fan to blow her hair back from her face. She had bottle green eyes, very expressive. She's a doll, he said. I wonder who she was, Linda asked. Pushing the pictures towards Malone, I started flipping through the other papers. There were sketches and notes in Peter's now familiar handwriting. Across the top of one page was a name, Meredith Bell. I showed it to Malone. He turned over one of the pictures and pointed. The same name was written on the back. I think this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, Linda said so. You'll get no argument from me. We stood there for another minute or so, just studying it. Finally, Malone gave his shoulders a shake and nudged the kid. Together, they moved the crate to the back wall and resumed work. Just afternoon, we were taking a break when Malone's phone rang. He took the call, listened for a moment, gave a quick laugh and winked at me. He and popped open the cooler and began spreading food containers on the table. A minute later, Malone joined us. What's going on? That was Sergeant Roscom. He's in a bind. His wife misread his schedule and thought he was off tomorrow night. She got tickets for the whole family to a concert. It's their anniversary. So he can't go? Ian said around a mouthful of bagel. Friday and Saturday were my days off. Ross Common was off for Sunday and Monday. So he'll take Friday off and I'll take his Sunday. A weekend free? What will I do with you? I'm sure you'll think of something. One more. This one is for Diana. I know how much enjoys these little surprises. All of the artwork has been appraised. Jamie is back home after a stressful meeting with the attorneys. I wandered into the living room where one light was on low. The house was quiet. The windows were all open and a cool breeze flooded the curtains. The ceiling fans slowly spun the air. I felt the sofa fall to me. Last week, Brittany and Ian were tangled up on it, the sofa working its magic of pushing the objects together. Brittany could not stop it. Apparently, the girl is very ticked. I flopped onto the sofa and sank into its comfort. So many things had been discovered this summer. The treasures at the studio, the first love for Ian, the stronger relationship between Ian and Malone, and a growing relationship for me and Ian. Malone was still with me. There were few quiet moments when the kids were around. It didn't seem to bother him in the least. It wasn't difficult to picture Malone with kids of his own. I'd never really thought that much about having children, 
when it seemed like I had developed an honorary part-time family. The click of the back door brought me out of my reverie. Malone appeared in the archway from the kitchen. Hey, Jamie. Malone snagged my ankles with one hand and lifted them high enough so that he could settle onto the cushions and lowered my legs onto his lap. Do you hear that? Hesitated and listened closely. I don't hear anything. Exactly what I mean. Silence. Peace. Quiet. No boisterous teenagers making weird noise. Just the gentle sound of your breathing. Want to make me breathe a little louder? He stroked my legs softly, sliding his hands up the calves to the knees and dipping his fingers around to lightly graze the tender flesh behind the knee. Shivers danced up my spine. Maybe later. Right now, I'll settle for the quiet. I told him about the meeting with the attorneys, my reaction to Banning's recommendations. Malone's fingers hesitated in their efforts to rest my legs when I mentioned how much the collection was worth. Ten million dollars is a great deal of money, Jim. I shrugged, wiggling my ass into the sofa cushion. His attention was getting me very aroused. That's in addition to the other assets already in the estate. So it appears I've fallen for a rich broad. I brought my head up from the pillow. Broad? Seriously, Malone, is there any part of my body that's it's just an expression. I always thought I was more narrow than broad. Malone lifted my ankles high and yanked me closer so that my ass was now on his lap. He loomed over me, releasing my legs, and grabbed me around the waist. In a blink, I was now straddling him, my hair hanging down into my eye, as he drew me close for a kiss. Jamie? I think you're wearing far too much clothing. Flashing back to a similar interlude earlier this summer, I was only wearing what was visible, the shorts and the tank. Even in the dim light of the living room, I sensed Malone already knew this. I expected him to quickly peel off my coat, but Malone had other plans. With one arm around my waist, he held me close. I felt his other hand cup the back of my head as he held me still, driving me crazy with a long, slow, wet kiss. I was squirming on his lap with excitement. He knew exactly what he was doing. He released my head, drawing his hand slowly down to my breath, tipped my head back. He was kissing my throat. Electricity was running wild through my core. And then just as suddenly, Malone was standing, holding me in his arms. This was no easy trick, getting out of the clutches of it. Without a word, he eased me down until my feet touched the hardwood floor. Malone, hush, Jamie. I want you to do exactly what I said. He stepped over and switched off the light. For an instant, I was nervous until I saw the mischievous sparkle in his eyes. He turned me around so that I was facing one arm of the sofa. 
alone guided me back to the cushion. Only now I was kneeling with my back to him. I feel the stubble of his beard lightly scratched my shoulder. He turned his head enough to inhale the perfume I splashed on when changing. It wasn't strong, but it lingered. I felt a tingling sensation race down my arms as Malone's hot breath warmed my shoulder blades. He tugged the tank top. Now his lips were slowly moving down the ladder of my spine. I couldn't move, even if I wanted to. A solitary fingertip slid down the back of my arm. He was barely touching me, but oh, baby, where he was touching, how he was touching, setting me on fire. He shifted lower. I felt the bottom of the tank top move up, exposing my stomach, the small of my back, and my ribs. I cried out in surprise when Malone nicked me with his teeth, lightly grazing the spot on my back where my kidneys were. Fingertip continued to graze my arm. I felt his lips move back to my spine. Then his fingernails were lightly scratched on my legs while he continued to kiss me. I was shaking. Fingertip glided across the back of my knee. Malone, I can't stand it. Soon, Jane. Soon. And there you have it. The reason Mark Love is one of my favorite authors. <laughs> <laughs> I always got to have a little special part just for you. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. Um, I know we've talked about this before. But it's one of those things that comes up every time I read a Jamie Richmond novel. Every time you read to me. Every time I see you at an event, I want to know Ma what Malone's first name is. So I need you to explain to me why it is you're keeping that a secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there are two I mean, parts is it just to torture us readers? <laughs> no, 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 no. As a kid, I got hooked on the old Robert B. Parker's theory, Spencer. Mm-hmm. And they never reveal Spencer's first name. And when I first started writing this series, um, Malone just basically says, I only use Malone. And in the first three books, Jamie was always trying to guess what his first name was, giving him different names every day that she saw him. And with the promise that if she ever guessed right, he would tell her. It's one of the fun little banters that you have going on throughout this entire book. Yeah. And it, it makes you giggle out loud when they, oh, yeah. because you can hear them having this silly little conversation. Absolutely. And, and that was a lot of fun. And then near the end of this particular book, Amy decided that, you know what, just doesn't, he's here. He, you know, what more do I need? I'll call him alone, you know? Yeah. Just say, hey, you, he shows up. So. <laughs> but but I, I kind of like that, you know, because it could be any number of names. And I may still someday come forward and just actually name tell everybody him. what his real first name is. You know? Right. Because everybody that in the beginning, when Jamie would come into contact with somebody that knew Malone, she goes, oh, name Malone. <laughs> no, I mean, that's 
Bye bye. Yeah. So I just it seemed like it worked out well. It's just it's a backstory that just constantly tickles my imagination. I because with every exchange between these two characters, I do what Jamie does. I go through my head and think about well. Okay, so what is his real first name? Mm-hmm. And why would he be hiding it? Or why doesn't he think it's important enough? Or is there some really big mystery secret? Or is his name just simply so normal, for lack of a better word, that he doesn't think that it warrants any attention? I mean, I, I keep running through all these various scenarios. And given what page I'm on in one of your books at any moment... <laughs> my opinion of it changes well it, it's kind of like the old the original macgyver series mm-hmm. uh with i think it was richard dean anderson yeah. or something like that uh yeah. he never used they called him mac or malone or macgyver that's what they did and you know that worked for the majority of the series and most people just kind of went with it uh and it's it's interesting because I do pretty much the same thing with the other series with Shane. Jefferson Shane is the name, but the majority of the characters refer to him as Shane. Mm-hmm. Even Simone, the young lady that he's dating, refers to him as Shane the majority of the time, unless it's something very. I think it's a fun little homage to the James Bond series from Ian Fleming. Um, Shane. Yeah, everybody just knows him as Bond. Bond. <laughs> Super secret. It worked. Well, I, in, in high school, I went to, all right, I will admit, I went to an all-boy Catholic high school. And yeah. several of the instructors, the teachers that were there, only referred to the students by their last name. And most of them were, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. But there was one biology teacher who loved to, he'd be walking up and down around the classroom, and he'd be asking a question, and he'd be looking at this way but he'd call on somebody on the other side of the room. And he was one that always used last name until the first time he did it with me. <laughs> because he's, I don't even remember what the question was, but he's looking over here at Baker and he says something like this. He goes, hey, what do you think? And love. And I piped up, yes, dear. And the whole room <laughs> lost it. And then he turned and looked at me and says, we're going to have to do something about that. And I said, he? I'm stuck with his name, guy. You know? so <laughs> his name I was that, born with. <laughs> after that, he started calling everybody by their first name, and everybody else looked at me and went, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> we're not in the military, you know. We're fifteen-year-old right. high school kids, you know. Yeah. So you brought vindication to everybody's identity. Yeah. Perfect. Somebody, somebody's got to step up and do it. My little beanie. <laughs> I am so happy that you came and read for me today. We always have such a good time. It's um, always a pleasure. I, I hope that you will come back and read from the Ink Spell projects for me because we haven't done those yet. Oh. Would well, you be willing to do that at some point? You're talking about the big anthology? Yeah. Oh, you mean maybe. Uh, we'll get it off the shelf. You mean this guy? Yeah. <laughs> that one. I, I might be persuaded to read part of my story but this whole thing is like no no not the whole thing just your story i I had somebody pick that up at an event at the start of december and they picked the one off to display and they hefted it and they go "Ooh, good murder weapon (laughs) (laughs) my kind of 
reader. I like that. Perfect. So, <laughs> Thanks yeah, again I'll for coming. To, I'll have to think about that. Yes, definitely. Okay. And it's, it's always such a good time, Diana. Thank you so much for having me on the show. You're always and, welcome, sir. A pleasure. Have an awesome day. All right. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you're an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.